We got a lot of places we're going this morning in the scriptures. Uh, so just have your Bible ready. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. You can just grab one, take it. That's yours to keep. And uh, every week, if you want to bring your Bible, that'd be great. Because, well, we're Christians. We believe the Bible. This is our book. Everybody else has their books. This one's ours. So we got two things going on here simultaneously. One, we've got the continuation of our series entitled, This is God's Church. That's the first thing we got going on. The second thing we've got going on is we just finished with a week that we call Church Week. And if you're unfamiliar with what Church Week is, it was um, all last week. It was Monday through Friday. We had services every night uh, of the week, and they got um, better and better. And um, by Friday night, uh, it, was, it was powerful. And I'll just be honest, it was the most powerful thing I have ever experienced um, in like adult church. I have been to many youth camps. I've run many youth camps and high school, you know, camps where auditoriums are filled with thousands of students, and, and that's really fun. Um, but there's something powerful about watching adults, about 200 or, or more of you every night gathering and just pursuing the heart of God. Uh, Wednesday night, there was, I don't know, 75% of the adult crowd up here on the altar on their knees, most in tears. And um, on Friday night, it was just honestly the most joyous time in like adult worship that I have had in, I can't remember when. It was powerful. And, and God was clearly on the move. And, and the question now is, where do we go from here? Um, where do you go as an individual who just experienced God in a unique way? And then where do we go collectively as a church, because as great as the attendance was last week, I know that not everyone could be there for, for whatever reason, but we still move forward as one church, one spirit guiding us all. And so my quest today is to give us a path forward, a path forward that both honors the week that we had and the work that God did, and also make sure that we remain together in unity for God's purposes in this church. For we do believe that we are one family, we're one body. And, and we, we have to walk together. And so I'm going to try to cover both of these topics. I think they merge nicely into one, both the historical church and, the, uh, and, and coming off of the week that we just had. Um, let me see if I have any brave souls first. Anybody in here still have a flip phone? Was there a hand? Oh, she's raising his hand for him. Okay. All right, we've got one. They have improved, okay? Phones, that is. Said another way, if I wanted to get from here back home, there are a lot of ways I could do it. I could walk. I could run. Not going to do that. I could bike. Be a little bit quicker. I could take a car. It'd be quicker. I could take a Tesla. That would be quicker, certainly, than my car. There's ways that I could get from here to there quicker. And there are ways that we don't travel anymore, that we don't need to travel that way anymore because things have gotten better. And what we're looking at this morning is how it is that God tends to move differently in different seasons 
And if we're not careful, what we can do is find ourselves stuck in a historical context where we begin to use methods that are outdated. Methods that aren't bad. Sometimes they're even spiritual methods, but they're not how God is moving in the moment. And where God wants to get you from here to there at Tesla-like speed, you're walking. And when we get stuck in these moments, sometimes it is our pride or it is our fear or it is uh, just the fact that we, we like certain things or it is our comfort level that we're in where we say, I'm not moving, God, because I like this. And it is in those moments then uh, that we need a move of the Holy Spirit to shake something up inside of us so that we can begin to move, uh, I think, in the speed and in the direction that God wants us to move. And so this morning we're talking about the historical church and what the historical church is, is stuck. It's stuck because it can't tell the difference between momentary methods and eternal principles. See, there are eternal principles in our faith, like the doctrines of our belief that can never be changed. But then there are methods and practices that sit on top of those principles, and God seems to infuse his life into certain ones or certain ways at certain times. And oftentimes we can know we're in the historical church or we're stuck because we see God's movement out there, but we don't see it in here. We, we might know that we're stuck in the historical church because we think this way of doing it is the only way to do it. Follow the phone metaphor. A flip phone is the only way to call someone. Walking is the only way of transportation. Oftentimes, when we're in the historical church and we're stuck, we look out at things that are happening uh, that God is clearly moving in, and we use terms like, well, that must not be real, or, well, that's just, and then we use some kind of um, adjective to try to diminish what God is doing over there. Well, it's just emotionalism, or it's just stirring up the base, or it's just whatever it might be. And, and what we try to do is diminish a move of God. This morning, I want to talk about how we uh, make sure that we don't get caught up in the historical church mindset. And also then, I want to make sure that we talk about how we, um, all of us together, move forward to where it is that God is taking us. Now, in order to do that, I think I need to give a quick recap of church week. And I might allude to this to a couple times, and so I'm just going to kind of say it um, once, so I don't have to keep going back to it. To those of you who were there, I believe it was an experience with God where the gospel was elevated and the Holy Spirit poured his life out that for many of you is going to be something you go back to many times in your life. For those of you who were not there, um, I hope if we do it again in the future, you will make an effort too. For it really was powerful. And we compared church week often to camp, to football camp. And, and if you've ever played a sport, you know that if the team went to camp and you, for whatever reason, missed camp, that when you join up on the first practice, uh, it's like you're part of the team, but I'm like, am I missing something? Now, that's a sport team. We're a church. It's kind of okay on a sport team. I don't, on a church level, want us to be in different places, which is why I'm intentionally taking day today to kind of help us wrap back around what happened to make sure that we all move forward at the same place. 
because I think that's important in the body. God did move. We studied Psalm 63, and in Psalm 63, we see the beginning, uh, and it, it, these were four points we hit. First one was this, oh God, you are my God. Oh God, David described as great out there, as good, he comes close, and as gracious, he breaks through. Oh God, you are not just those things, you are also my God. And you're my God, and I earnestly seek you. I, I want to sincerely and deeply pursue the heart of God, not in order that I might obtain God, but because through his love for me, he has obtained me. And so now I seek you. And that was what the jump rope was about. I'm, I'm not going to stop seeking. For me, it was I'm not going to stop seeking until I can dunk a basketball, which I kind of did my freshman year in college. Kind of. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Third day, then, we looked at the statement that the entire psalm wrapped around, and it was this, your unfailing love is better than life. And I just walked through the gospel in Romans 5. We were dead in sin, and Christ made us alive. And now the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. And it's not an intellectual pursuit. It's not like a moral obligation. It's not even like a philosophical discussion around the ethereal love of God. It's like a rich deep experience with the love of God in our hearts. And then Friday night, like I joked, I made this joke Friday night, like there was a moment where I'm like, it feels like a frat party in here. Like the Holy Spirit is just moving. People are I, dancing. I don't know what it was. Like um, I was just standing up there, like just watching. And somebody was like, emailed me later and they were being very kind, but they're like, man, it looked like you were pretty heavy. And I was like, no, I was, I was just soaking it all in, man. It's beautiful. And I got up to end Friday night. And the only verse I could think of is the verse in Acts when people are like, y'all are drunk. And they're like, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're just, we're just excited in the Holy Spirit. And so that was our week. Where do we go from here? Well, I want to look at two truths that I think are important that'll help us move forward. And then I want to give you two observations this morning on, on two texts that I think will help us move forward as well. And so I've got a lot of scripture to read this morning, um, which is okay because we like the Bible. And, and so I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm just going to give you a few observations. And that'll be our time this morning. I'm in Philippians 3 to start off this morning. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 8. Paul writes, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For Christ Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's how committed Paul is here. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the motivation of every follower of Christ, by the way, that we press on not to compel Christ to us. We press on because Christ has compelled us to himself. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those, hear, hear this, let those of you who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I think that's Paul's way of saying, if you don't agree with me, you will eventually. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What's Paul saying? He's saying mature people seek growth. Mature people just keep pressing in. Mature people just keep jump roping. When I got done with the hard week of football camp and I would wake up on Monday after camp and my body was hurting, what did I do? I got the jump rope out and I just kept on going. When you get done with the week of camp like that and you come off the mountaintop high, what do you do? You just keep jump roping. You just keep going after the heart of God. Those of you who have been journeying with us on Sunday mornings, what are we doing? We're just going to keep pursuing the heart of God because mature people seek growth. And our desire as a church is to help you continue to grow up into the fullness of Christ. It has been the quest that we have been on since we started, but most intentionally since January when we said our aim this year is to make disciples of Christ to use this word disciple and to grow people up in, to, to become a follower of Jesus and his teaching. And mature people seek growth. That's what Church Week was about, was an extended opportunity to just grow because you can get not five weeks of, uh, of Sunday mornings in five consecutive days. I think you get like a year's worth of Sunday mornings in five focused days. And so just saying, I want to accelerate my growth by pursuing the heart of God at an intense level. And mature people seek growth. And so one of the places or one of the uh, steps that we take now forward is how do we all now continue to seek growth? For some of you coming out of church week, that's going to mean now you take the mountaintop and you just consistently pursue the heart of God. You get into the scriptures. You go after his heart every single day. For all of us, that means we're going to keep asking the question, okay, God, what would you have us do next? Where do we go now as a church? I'm going to lay a couple of these points out later on some steps that I think we all need to take together to walk in unity. But we're pursuing growth, growth in the gospel, which means less of us, more of Jesus, less of all my filth, more of Christ's righteousness, less of my worry, anxiety, and stress, and more of Jesus's peace and hope and grace. We're going to pursue him. Second point I want to bring out before I get into uh, where I think we go from here uh, is in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Let me get there. A couple pages to go. I'm going to start in verse 10, which is halfway through the parable. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now, 
the story that Jesus is telling is there was a guy who owned a field and he hired a worker in the morning and then three hours later and then three hours later and then three hours later. And then it gets to the end of the day and he starts paying all of the workers and he pays all of them the same regardless of how long they worked. Now, this is a story where Jesus is talking about, um, one, we don't begrudge what God does for somebody else. But then he's saying, just enjoy what it is that you have received. Now, here's where I'm going with this. My second point or second truth is this, that the blessing uh, of what we just experienced as a church, I want to be for everyone. This is very clear to me. We are not the same church today that we were a week ago from today. We're not. Not after what we walked through over the last week. No. For those who were here, you go, yep, get it. For those who weren't, you go, okay, I'm not sure I get it yet. My prayer and my sharing of this text is to say, I want this blessing to be for everyone. I want what we have now just pursued the heart of God uh, and what we've experienced to now flow out to all of us. That the blessing would be for everyone. Here or not there, right? There or not there this week. Or for those who join us in a month, we might begin to flow. And there might be this perspective where you say, well, you weren't there when we did that. Now you can just hop on in. Yes. Yeah. That, that what we want to create is something where wherever you walk in in life and whenever you join us here, you get assimilated into a church family that pours out the love of God on you. And you just like get to like step into something that's already moving. That we don't have this like, hey, you got to go start back at the end of the line and then catch up to us someday. No, step on in with us as we move in God's love together in unity. That's been my prayer over these last few days in particular. Because where we stand here today, we are one church. We are one family, one body. And we only continue to operate in a way that honors God when we all work together and we all move together as one. Now, those are my two observations uh, from kind of what happened last week. Now I want to transition into um, two, oh, those are my two truths. Here are my two observations on two texts now. And, and I think these will help us answer the question, how do we move forward as a church? Let me read you Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of untrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. This is one of those biblical texts where people read it and they go, what is he talking about? What, what is happening here? Because there, there, there's a lot of like cultural reference here that is just not particularly known to, to our modern understanding, to my modern understanding, right? Like I got to look into this stuff a little bit to understand it. Um, let me give you the principle that I think is at play in this story. Here it is, this is observation one. Not all spiritual practices are equally applicable in every season and environment. Not all spiritual practices are equally applicable in every season and environment. These disciples of John, John the Baptist, they show up and they kind of 
in a way, they're trying to call out Jesus' disciples, and they're like, hey, Jesus, let's talk about this. We fast because we're good Christians, and your disciples don't fast. Why not? And Jesus looks back at them as something as good as fasting and says, oh, it's not the right time for it. Why? Because the heart of fasting is to pursue the presence of God. And Jesus goes, why would you fast to pursue the presence of God when I'm standing right next to you? You're kind of missing the point. The methods and the spiritual practices of the believer and the church are to pursue the heart of God and are to advance the gospel. That is the reason our methods and practices exist. And what this principle is teaching us is that not all spiritual practices are equally applicable in every season and environment. That there are certain methods within the context of the church that become historical and built up, and we like build our whole thing around these practices or methods and say, we have to always focus on these practices and methods, but then they come a point where they're not equally applicable, but if we keep playing that same thing, it doesn't work. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I was like, this is like watching any Michigan game where they keep running the exact same plays that never work, Right? And you're like, change the play. And they're like, we don't have any good players. This is all we got. And you're like, okay, I get it, right? In the church, then, we can say, nope, we have to run this play. We have, we, have to, we have to talk like this, and we have to read like this, and we have to sing like this, and we have to play instruments like this, and we have to run church like this. And Sunday morning has to be like this, because this is how God works. And you look around, and you're like, well, God's apparently dead because this place is dead. <laughs> and if this is how God works, that's pretty sad. Meanwhile, elsewhere, people are stepping in line with the Holy Spirit and the new thing that he's doing, and it's alive. And oftentimes, the people in the dead look over at the people that are in the living and they go, yeah, but that's not real. That's not real. Like, if water represented life there in that particular case, like you could be here looking and going, looking at an empty cup and saying, nope, this cup, I'm going to drink out of this cup and there's nothing in this cup. And then you look at the other people who are drinking just full bottled waters going, yeah, but that must be fake water. Like it's flavored. It's bubbly. God doesn't work through bubbly. Right? He would never do that. Now, bubbly is delicious. Amen. And people without the water, look at the people with the water and go, mm, that's probably fake. All right? We can find ourselves getting caught up into this in the historical church because we think, no, 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 this is the only way God moves. Now, Within that, then, we have to begin to ask ourselves, in both spiritual practice and in church methods, how do we know which ones to apply into which environments, and how do we begin to know when we've become the historical church or the historical Christian? Well, Paul gives us an outline of, of ways to begin to understand 
The first thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 is he says, I do all things unto the glory of God. And so the first perimeter or parameter on what we can do or what we should do is ask the question, well, is it bringing glory to God? Now, sometimes we have to move a little bit further than that because you could say, well, playing the drums can bring glory to God. Playing the organ can play glory to God, right? And so you say, okay, well, they both bring glory to God. Okay, well, that's good. So let's take a step further. Now, there might be some things that get excluded under this one, right? Does it bring glory to God? And then if it doesn't, then, well, okay, well, let's throw all those methods out. But then it takes us, Paul takes us a step further. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let me get there. I'm just giving you a parameter for how we make decisions on when to move and what we do in particular seasons and environments. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this. He gives us the next parameter. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of a particular right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. What Paul is saying there is that he will surrender his rights as a follower of Christ, uh, his rights to particular preference, his right to um, particular methods of what he enjoys, that he will surrender those rights in order to win people to Christ. Now, this is where the historical church oftentimes gets stuck because the historical church says, well, I have a right to listen to that style of music and I'm not going to let it be changed. Oh, and if you change it, we'll stop giving and we'll leave. I know no one has come to Christ in 13 years, but I like that music. And in the historical church often, then we dig into these methods. We say, no, we have to do it like this. Now, that's going historical church like 30, 40, 50 years ago. We could go historical church 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? Well, like you guys know we don't serve coffee around here, right? Some of y'all figured that out. Okay, right? And you, you, you could say, well, I'm out. Like that 13 cent cup of coffee was the only reason I came. You get rid of it, I'm done. Or what if in two years I say, hey, we're going to start serving coffee. And somebody goes, no, you said we wouldn't serve coffee. Now I'm out. And what if I gave you the most compelling gospel reason ever to serve coffee? What if I told you that like, you know, some donor stepped up and said they're going to pay for all of the coffee and it's not going to change anything in the church. And you just go, nope, you said we weren't serving coffee, I'm out. And all of a sudden, the coffee has become more important to you, the method, than the gospel. And so this is the parameter. I'm giving you silly examples, but this is the parameter that we begin to form on what do we do and when do we do it. Okay, I'm, I'm, I have a point. I'll get there. Ephesians 4, then, gives us the next parameter. Going the wrong way. Nope, I was going the right way. Ephesians 4. This is the next parameter. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We see here the metaphor of the church as a body. And what it's saying is, the next parameter is, is what we're doing, is this practice, is this action, is it growing the body up in unity? Is it edifying, is another word that is used, is it building up the body? And is it building up the body in love and in unity? In other words, is what we're doing the right time? And is it collectively bringing all of us 
together. You guys remember when I confessed my sin of puppy chow addiction? Okay? If you don't know what puppy chow is, it's just a delicious dessert, snack, food thing. Okay? And there are times when I look at the puppy chow and my eyes say, keep going, and my stomach says, please stop. I will pay you back later, right, if you don't stop. I think my teeth even say, please stop, right? And there are times when one member or one part of the body will say, go, 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 go. And the other part of the body is saying, please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop. Now, there are certain times when I wake up and I think I want to exercise, right? And there's a part of my body that's saying, don't do it. And there's the other part of my body that is saying, do it, my heart, right? You're going to need this when you're older. And sometimes I have to listen to the part that says go. And other times I have to listen to the part that says stop. And when we talk about unity in the church body, and we talk about the practices and the actions of the church, we have to be aware of all of these things. It means this. At some point in time, we will go and we'll say, okay, I want to head this direction, but man, I can't head it quite at the speed that I want. Because we go together. And then there are going to be other times where we're going to say, we're moving this direction. And there's going to be other parts saying, I don't know about that. And we're going to say, you know what? Just come on with us. And it might be a little uncomfortable or it might be a little bit of this, but I'm telling you, just come on with us and it's going to be okay. And, and the point then is walking together in unity. Now, in particular, what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians, and in particular, what I am alluding to is what is the presence of the Holy Spirit look like in a congregation and in a church family? We say often, this is God's church. This is God's church. Well, God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we were to compare these three gods to like... One God, three persons. Okay, that was heresy. No one caught it. That's good. Okay. If we were to compare this one God and three persons, uh, often to like, like, like real human beings, like a lot of times we're like, God the Father, he's, he's like a good, solid dad or like grandpa figure. Jesus is like that great older brother who's always willing to like step up and fight for you and sacrifice for you or that really good friend who does that. And then we get to the Holy Spirit and we're like, that's like Uncle John who shows up every once in a while and always has like a billion dollar idea. He's kind of cool. He gives good gifts. Then we don't see him for three years. Then he shows up again. His hair's dyed and he's 50. You're like, eh, okay. And we have this like picture. What do we do with him? And the Holy Spirit is God. And so when we say this is God's church, we could say this is the Holy Spirit's church. That would be an accurate statement because he's God. So I could say this is the Father's church. This is Jesus' church. This is the Holy Spirit's church. What we just say is this is God's church. So how do we walk in unity around that? Because I will tell you, what we experienced this week in church week 
The Bible uses this term, so I'm going to use this term. Don't get freaked out by it. We're manifestations of the Holy Spirit in ways that we have typically not seen as a church. And I don't just mean some of the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, simply, some of you, you didn't even know your hands could do this. And they can. It's amazing. Or you didn't know you could do this in front of 200 other adults. And he did. Both the Holy Spirit. Some of you, I saw your teeth for the first time. In church. Right? And, and you weren't there or there yet, but you, you smiled in church. It was awesome. And there is going to be, there is a temptation. Listen, I have felt it to walk in here today and to try to um, rile us up like we left on Friday. And in moments where we go through these types of things, there can be that. And what can happen is a portion of the church can say, nope, we got to keep going. We got to keep pressing. We got to keep moving. We got to keep raising. We got to keep kneeling. We got to keep begging. We got to keep doing. We got to keep doing this. You know what can happen? Factions begin to emerge. And that would not be consistent with what Paul writes in Ephesians or 1 Corinthians. Instead, we take a moment, we take a deep breath, and we say, okay, God, how do we walk forward, all of us? Why? Because mature people seek growth. Which means if you have found yourself coming up from a historical church context where your perspective of the Holy Spirit was like, he, he almost doesn't even exist. Mature people seek growth, which means at this point now you should be asking the question, okay, man, what did I miss or what am I missing? And if mature people seek growth and if you grew up in a context where it was all about the experiential moments of the Holy Spirit and if anyone didn't want to hop on board, then they're just not with us and so they can go somewhere else because we're on the train and you missed it. Mature people seek growth. And they say, I want to bring everybody with me. Because I only want to get on the train if every willing person is going with us. Some of y'all might be so stubborn that you don't want to grow. Well, eventually you will be at the train station and the rest of us will be heading out. Okay? And there will come a point then where the stubborn person might get left behind. Okay? but I want to give everybody the right chance to move with us. That's my job as a pastor, to care and to love every one of you the same and to say, we all move as one. We all move as one. Now, in this, we have to then also evaluate what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 when he says, do not quench the spirit. And so there may be moments, and I hope and I pray that there are, in our Sunday morning gathering, 
where the Holy Spirit falls in ways that he did similar on uh, Friday and Wednesday and all throughout the week, and the Holy Spirit begins to fall, and you might be back there going, what? And we say, okay, when it's from God, we go with it. When it's from him, we follow it because I'm not going to fall into that sin of quenching the Holy Spirit. And so we watch and we let him move and we follow him as he does. Now, let me give you my second point. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Hopefully y'all are tracking with me. Uh, I'll just read the text first. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In this particular story, the Israelites have been brought into captivity, and what God is saying to them in the context of the story is don't expect a deliverance like you received when you were brought out of Egypt. That like Pharaoh exodus, Moses exodus, don't expect the exact same thing. He says, don't put your mindset in that it's going to be exactly like that. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now, here's my second observation. We must identify and discern then what this new thing is. Let me say this more clearly. What and how, how is God, from our perspective, choosing to move right now in our world? We don't want to be stuck in a historical church context that says, well, this is how I grew up, and this is how I feel comfortable, and this is what I do. I don't care about any of those things. What I do care about is, God, how will you most effectively move right now and reach people with your gospel? That's all I care about. I don't care if I like it or not. I care if it works in reaching people for Jesus. That's the mature believer. So we have to ask ourselves the question, God, how are you working? Now, here is my summation of what I am observing, okay? And so she can throw it up on the screen, uh, and here, here's where we're at. A theologically rich, gospel-centered, and biblically-based exposition of the scriptures that accurately and intentionally invites the Holy Spirit into the corporate gathering while maintaining awareness of the unbeliever. Furthermore, adjusting methods and engaging in a variety of spiritual practices that build both a doctrinally sound and experientially rich faith. For much of the history of the church, people have been satisfied to divide over the idea of being doctrinally sound or being experientially rich. And immature believers through the years have been willing to part ways and to, whoops, and to divide and split over these two things. And I believe that the new thing that God is doing is exactly that. It is theologically rich. It is a pursuit of the study of God. It is gospel-centered, always coming back to the person of Jesus, and it is biblically based, always saying, what do the scriptures say? And, and, it is maintaining awareness of the unbeliever in our midst, 
particularly on a morning gathering. And it is then, at the end, saying, how do I and how do we, all of us, build both a doctrinally sound and experientially rich faith? How do I both build my understanding and be girded by the the truth of Scripture and also experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And I would imagine, because of the backgrounds of people here, right? By the way, if there were a third anchor, it would be like a a third part of this. It would be um, people who say, no, faith is just how you live, like your actions, Okay, I didn't include that this morning, but maybe that's, you come out like, no, faith is just about doing the right things, like like serving other people, showing love, that kind of thing. Whatever one of these it is, oftentimes what is what has been the case of the historical church or Christian is, is, well, I am the theologically sound one. We're in that camp. And then you have other people who are in the experientially rich camp. And oftentimes... Here's the point. Oftentimes, the spiritually rich will elevate their experience over the unbeliever. And oftentimes, the doctrinally sound will elevate their quest for truth and the hammering of it over the unbeliever. Okay? I believe the new thing God is doing right now is asking us to seek out both. This means some of you who grew up in the doctrinally sound era, this is the the lane that you have always swam in, that I am praying for you to have an experience with the Holy Spirit that makes you ridiculously uncomfortable. Okay? Because I think it's all over the Bible and the scriptures. And there are some of you then who grew up in the experientially rich culture. And I'm asking you to re-look at Scripture and say, man, what were the parameters that were put in place around good doctrine? We have seen this even in our modern era. Churches who err one side to the other too much. Right? It's all about doctrine. There's no presence. It's all about the presence. And we throw out some doctrine. I believe what God wants to do is bring these two things together unlike he ever has before. Now, what will this require of us? First, clear and compelling gospel exposition. That means it is my job every Sunday to preach from the scriptures to you in a way that helps you understand the gospel. Your sin, Christ's righteousness. Because here's the thing. When I preach a proper gospel... You know what the Holy Spirit does? He gets excited. And eventually, if you keep preaching that proper gospel, the Holy Spirit will get so excited in you, it'll warm your heart in such a way that you'll start to do things you didn't think you'd do. Okay? So that's the first thing. It's just a clear and compelling gospel exposition. The second thing it will require of us is doctrinal and theological training. Said another way, we got to know our Bibles. And so I brought this up on Friday night, and I'll bring it up here for the first time to the entire church. This September, we are launching Wednesday Night Church, okay? And here's why we're doing this, because it's time that we learn our Bibles. There will not be music on Wednesday nights. We are just going to teach through the scriptures, 
okay, in a very systematic way, and we're going to learn our Bibles. Everyone's got their book. Everyone's got the thing they study, the thing they read. For the Christian, our book is this, and we need to know it, and our kids need to know it. Lindsay and I say often, we are the product of a church world and culture that no longer exists by and large, that got thrown out 20, 30 years ago by the, by the, by the main run and the main rush. And maybe that was the right thing. Maybe it was. I don't know. Okay? Maybe it was the season that, that God had put people in. Okay, but I'll say for Lindsay and I, we are a product of Wednesday night, Sunday morning Bibles, uh, Sunday school, uh, biblical teaching on Sunday, oftentimes being there on Sunday night. We were even, Lindsay and I were such church, church dorks, we did something called junior Bible quiz that was like competitive. Okay, we were good at it. We still fight over it. Okay, and she's better than I am. But we... We're products of something that no longer exists. And, and, and there are certain elements of if we don't bring it back, then what will exist 20 or 30 years down the road? If our Christian kids 15, 20, 30 years down the road can't explain the Trinitarian nature of God, what chance do we have? If our kids can't tell us that there's 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. What chance do we have? If when we say, kid, turn in your Bible to Psalms, and the kid goes, PSA, search, Psalms. What chance do we have? We got to teach these kids the Bible. We've got to learn it. And so we're going to start reinstituting the things that for, by and large, the church, the modern church, began to throw out and starting to bring them back. So that'll launch in September. Um, the third thing it'll require of us is meaningful and moving worship and prayer experiences. If you're catching me here, what I just said over here, all of the people who are in the doctrinally sound camp are like, that sounds awesome. Like, I'm going to buy, buy a binder. I'm going to get four new pens and a highlighter. If there's something giggling up inside of you, right? You're excited. And the experientially wrenched people are like, no music? Seriously? By the way, when you say, why no music? Let me just explain that for a second. Okay, because here's the answer. Because all of a sudden you start putting that type of expectations on staff. We're like six months away from having to hire more staff and sending more money on that way. And if we just say no music, then we don't have to do that. We can save a whole bunch of money. That's the answer to the question. Okay, all right, okay. Now some of you is gonna be, someone's gonna be mad about that, but. Third thing, meaningful and moving worship and prayer experiences. Okay, now I'm going to grab the other side, okay? Here's what we feel compelled to do. We're gonna move our worship nights from quarterly to monthly, okay? And we're also leading into those worship experience nights. Um, we're gonna 
ask that we engage in um, focused prayer and fasting for the 48 hours leading up to it. And the hope will be that we will lay a spiritual environment and temperature similar to what we just experienced in church week on a monthly basis. And we don't even know what night of the week this is going to be on yet, but that when we show up on that night, it's like the spirit of God is already hovering over the water saying, y'all ready? Like, you ready? You guys know which camp Tom falls into. (laughs) He's like, I'm ready to go. Let's go. When's the first one? Friday? Like, let's go. Right? Yeah. Why? And listen, here's going to be the temptation. All of y'all are going to be like, man, I'm going to be there every Wednesday night. And all of y'all are going to be like, I'll see you once a month. And what I really want is all of us to pursue both. Okay? Because mature people seek growth. All of this has to be rooted, by the way, in humility, teachability, and desire. We can only walk this line together, folks, friends, if we're humble, if we're teachable from the scriptures, and if there's just a hunger inside of us burning for the love of God. Okay. Um, let me hit this point quickly, and then I'll, then I'll wrap up. Um, how do we perceive properly? How do we perceive that we're, it says in there, I'm doing a new thing. How do you perceive? Here's how we perceive. Um, we perceive through the scriptures. So we always start here. Secondly, we perceive through prayer and seeking the face of God and asking him, God, where are you taking your church? Thirdly, we perceive through um, church leadership and the accountability of many, uh, of many wise, godly people coming together. That's how we perceive properly. And we always have to submit ourselves to the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit to ask the question, how are you building your church right now, Jesus? And how are you walking all of us together in unity? And that must be the passion of our heart. And I can tell you that from an elder perspective and a staff perspective, that is the passion of the heart, that we would all walk together like this, okay? And I I mean, I'm gonna love it when, when, when I see some of you doctrinally sound people over here, okay? You might even untuck your shirt. Like, like, whoo! Right? Okay, what's the outcome of this? Let's talk about the outcome. Verse 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What's the outcome? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The outcome is that all of a sudden, he says, it springs forth like out of nowhere. All of a sudden, there's just a way where there wasn't a way. There is just rivers of flowing life in the middle of the desert. Where, where it was like we were in a dry and a parched place. Our, our culture was in a dry and parched place. My heart was in a dry and parched place. And then it was like in a moment, God just brought forth something. What's the outcome? The outcome is revival. 
The outcome, I think when we walk the new thing that God is doing and we do so in humility and we do so together as a church family, that God says, as you walk into that new thing, then I will all of a sudden just start paving a path out in front of you and just keep walking down it. And it'll be a path that is overflowing with life where there are rivers in the desert where you're just drinking in the goodness of God. I know some of you already felt that this week. God was moving in your heart. You were dry, you were dry, you were dry, and you stepped into something, and all of a sudden, things started just going free inside of you, and it was like uh, in a 48-hour window, you went from like feeling dead to feeling alive. Or for some of you, after like nine years of apathy, you're like, man, something has turned on in my heart. And as beautiful as that was for you, and I'm glad that it happened, when we walk all together in unity, then what God does is he starts to do that corporately and collectively for a whole church, and he starts to do it for a surrounding area. And so there's an element of maybe this Sunday where you're like, oh, it's just the recap. No, this is not just the recap. This is the way forward. This is the way forward. This is how we walk together now as one, building upon what happened, not just last week, but over the last year. And then we start our second year now here together in this place and say, God, make a way. May it team over with water. May it just flow. May that pour into our lives, our families, and on out. So that's the end. Let me say it this way in closing. What's the aim of the next year? To reach the lost, disciple the believer, and challenge the disciple. And so to that end, we continue on in the way that I have laid out today. And I believe if we do that, we will see great things this next year. Great things this next year. Why don't we do this first? Let me pray. Let me just pray right now for anyone that's in this room right now. And they think about the freedom that I just explained, and they think, man, I feel so far from that, but I know, God, that I need something, and I am just seeking after you. And, and God, I don't even know what it looks like, but I know that I need a love that is better than life itself, because everything else I have tried to love has never worked out. And so, God, I just need you to make yourself real to me. If that is you right now, God is talking to you right now through my voice. And he loves you. And he is pursuing you. And he can change in a minute what 10 years of the world's tactics can never touch. Let him in, let him in, let him in. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.